Hi everyone, welcome to Mind the Shift. I am Anders Bolling. Those of you who have followed this podcast for a while, you are well aware that one of the, the pronounced uh, goals of this show is to span the border between science and spirituality. And I think during this second episode, I, th- I mean, sorry, this second um, um, season, it has weighed in that direction. Today, we will hopefully learn a lot more about those realms, those areas of our lives, which can't be measured by traditional natural science gauges. My guest today is Etzel Cardenia. He's a professor of psychology at Lund University in Southern Sweden, where he also heads the Center for Research on Consciousness and Anomalous Psychology, CERCAP. Since he graduated from Universidad Iberoamericana in Mexico City in 1981, he has earned academic degrees and held various positions in fields in the field of psychology at universities in Canada, United States, Spain, and Sweden. Today, Cardenia is one of the world's leading researchers on parapsychology. He has done or contributed to studies on areas like hypnosis, deep meditation, telepathy, out-of-body experiences, and near-death experiences, among other phenomena. And he's also an actor and a playwright. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Etzel. It's, a, it's Back, an honor to have you as a guest. Thanks. Now, you've said that, uh, well, would, would you like to add anything to that resume, or do you think it was... Uh, no, other than I do not have work on near-death experiences. I edited a book and uh, we have a wonderful chapter by Bruce Grayson, but I have not published anything directly on near-death experiences. Okay, but that has been part of your, I mean, the the area of of study. Yeah, well, I'm aware of the literature, I follow it and I wanted to have that chapter in the book, but so that's about it. Excellent, I understand. And there are so many other so-called paranormal phenomena. I don't know if you use that term uh, at all. Paranormal, it sounds a bit... I I don't, because I think these phenomena are normal. They are just part of being human. And the para seems to make it somehow strange and weird, whereas I think that is uh, part and parcel of who we are and anybody can have them. There are some people who are a lot better than the rest of us, but one could say that is the same thing uh, for... Tennis serves if you follow the tournaments. There are yeah. some people who can do things that the rest of us can only dream of. Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I try to play tennis sometimes, and the service is really something ex- extraterrestrial. That's <laughs> so you've said that the importance of parapsychology is, uh, uh, lies in questioning the limitations of consciousness that are assumed in traditional mm-hmm. materialistic reductionist models, which, which are, I suppose, the models that most of us are told is the reality. Mm-hmm. So wh- what does this mean? Why question the limitations? Uh, well, let me start even before getting into parapsychology phenomena with the fact that we should question the usual account that we get in introductory psychology courses and in many uh, bestsellers. There was one famous a Dutch bestseller that said, you are your brain, uh, which to me is as ludicrous as it gets, because I do not think that the author would be fine if we just extracted extracted his brain and put it in a vat 
uh, that he would say, okay, well, I'm fine. well, of course, he could not even say it because he would have no mouth, nor ears to hear, nor anything. But leaving that aside, uh, the fact is that we do not have even remotely an account of how we can go from the electrochemical impulses that we know occur in the brain to the fact that we have qualitative experiences, what's called qualia, yeah. that we experience colors and sounds and movements, which is what makes us feel alive more than anything else. We do not experience electrochemical impulses. What we experience are, again, colors and movements and shapes. So from that point, you know, one can say, well, we do not even have anything close to a satisfactory account from a reductionist or a materialist or even any kind of reductionist position for how we are conscious of anything. And so that is one point. The second point is that in addition, we have evidence from research on parapsychological or psych phenomena, which I would say consistently shows that we seem to be getting information that is not coming through the senses, through either of the five, or if you expanded a bit to talk about somatosensory information, that there's information that seems to be occurring that is far away or that is even happening in the future or in the past that seems to affect us. And there is, there is no way from what we know currently about how the senses work that that information is coming through it. Mm. So, you know, I would say that in addition to the first original strong limitation for reductionist accounts of brain explaining consciousness, we also have the notion that even where somebody comes to say, yes, this brain functioning can explain how we become conscious, then we would also need an explanation for, okay, and then how do we become aware of things that are temporally and spatially distant? Things, information that is not coming through the senses. And so it, it gets uh, more interesting and more complicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's all about experience. It has to be experienced. It's very difficult to explain what consciousness is if you haven't experienced it. It's like, I mean, there, there's this, this simple analogy with, uh, for instance, the orange juice. To drink the orange juice is, is to know what orange juice tastes like. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can be the world's best expert on how orange juice should taste because you know all about the atoms and the mo molecules and the, yes. you know, all the chemical reactions and everything. But uh, you don't have the slightest idea what it tastes like if you don't, mm -hmm. if you don't taste it. So fantastic. Well, uh, when you, I mean, you conduct all these studies and you gather a lot of information, a lot of data. Uh, do you find a lot of what you might call mumbo jumbo? I mean, unreliable information, because mm -hmm. this is an area which is, of course, very, you have to be very careful because there is a lot of, uh, I mean, people are skeptical out there. So how do you discern among uh, all the information? How can you assess what to trust and what not to trust? Well, uh, to the first part of the question, yes, there is a lot of nonsense. There is a lot of silliness in people who propose matters. I mean, I have criticized when people say, well, I am certain that there is life after death. And then you are going to go to restaurants that have even tastier food. So then I have to think, okay, well, then who is going to be the waiters 
in the nether world. So whether there is some um, survival of consciousness, it just does not make sense to think that it literally would have to deal with sort of continuing with the, the, the life we have having bodies, but somehow not having a physical body. So whatever is happening, cannot the explanation cannot be that way. I'm not saying that I know what the explanation is, but I certainly think that that does not make sense. Now, there is some people say, well, that is just the way that we create a world to be able to understand after we die. But, but then, then you have to say at the very least that and say, well, that is just the surface and that is not what actually happens. So there's a lot of that. There's a lot of, well, I experienced it, so it must be true. And I experience something that is spiritual, uh, so that has to be true. And I says, well, that is nonsense, because every day there are people who experience that they are of a better race or that they are of a better gender. <laughs> you know, you just put yeah. on the any odious ideology there yeah. and true. people may experience it. And that does not mean that that is true. We just need to find out, well, what is the the basis, the ground for that assertion. Mm -hmm. And in my case, I am a scientist. I read technical uh, journals uh, that come in, that people are required to explain what it is that they are saying. So if they come to say, well, I've got evidence for life after death, well, you have to explain what that evidence is. And furthermore, according to the scientific method, what you also have to do is to try to discount alternative plausible explanations. So to give you a quick example, uh, Jöran Persson, a previous prime minister of Sweden, uh, said in one interview that, that he could telepathically know when his wife was calling, that he could guess, which may be true, by the way. I'm not saying that it isn't, but... He's not a scientist. He was not proposing a scientific result. He was just speaking as, as a regular human being. But were I a scientist who, who were to take that assessment, I would need to evaluate. Well, let me see if what he thinks is happening is something that can be determined by someone else who is taking into consideration, for example, that not only his wife calls him, and that his wife doesn't call him just at particular times mm. so that he might guess when she's calling, even if he is not aware of it. So you have to take into consideration alternative explanations. And only when you can eliminate or discount some of those, can you say, well, Jordan Persian, even when we tell his wife to call at a random times and she's one of five or four other people who are calling him. Uh, and in those circumstances, he can guess better than would be expected by chance when his wife is calling. Then I would say, all right, I will take this as a scientific datum. Yeah. I and will this, take is the, this. this is the way you, you assess things. This is the way yes. you work. Mm. Yes. I mean, there are, specifically when the assertion is about sort of facts, Yeah. The person saying, well, yes, I can, I can guess better than, than chance when my wife is calling me. Now, there are other aspects of existence that were, you don't have those kinds of criteria of evaluation. 
you if you uh, let's say I am with my wife and my two two year old, and I feel this is this is heaven. Now I don't care, you know, whether you might say, well, wait a second, what is the empirical evidence of what you're saying? I'd say I don't give a damn about what you think. I know what I am feeling, but that is not a scientific fact other than saying this is how I feel. This is wonderful. So one has to determine what is the nature of the statement. And if it is a statement about something that is supposed to be a, let's say, consensual or observable or quote unquote impartial objective mm. observation, then one looks into it. And mm. then one can say, yes, this, may, this is an assertion that is defensible, that is grounded, or this is an assertion that makes sense for the person's meaning and life even though it might not be something that can be quote unquote empirically ascertained, but it makes this person happier. Or sometimes this kind of experience makes the person more odious. <laughs> so one has to point out that as well. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't know that uh, our former prime minister, Joran Passion said those things. Uh, yes. In an interview. <laughs> kind of interesting. I, I, I don't uh, see him as that kind of person actually, but uh... I know. <laughs> That's yeah. why I use him as an example. Yeah, yeah, good example. So how do you, I mean, there are so many different kinds of psychic abilities. Is that what you call them? Or should we talk about extrasensory perception? Is that the same thing? No, or? it's the same thing. But I don't like to use the, the term extrasensory because no. it already mentions that it somehow has to do with the senses. Yeah. And we really don't know that it is through the senses that, that the information comes. It seems to me that a much more tenable theory is that there is much more a, a sense of interconnectedness, that time and space are not as we experience them in everyday life. And so that it is much more a matter of, of awareness and interrelationships rather than perceiving things as we did when, when you call me and then I'm hearing something through my auditory system. So let's call them psi or psychic abilities. Yeah, PSI, psi, yeah. that's the term that often is used. Could, could you give us a few examples, the most salient examples that you work with uh, uh, of these kinds of uh, abilities? Well, yes, and I'm going to go back to, if you will, a classical category when people were using more ESP, the ESP term, but one of them would be the notion of telepathy, which is... Yeah somehow something happens to a person that you could not have guessed by chance. The person is not close to you and it somehow affects you so that you get a sense, oh, I am thinking of X. I do not know why I'm thinking of X. Uh, I haven't thought of hair in five years as far as I can recall, but I had this big impression, and that same day you get an email or a call from that individual. Now, that is not an experiment, but one might, I think, reasonably entertain the notion that somehow, in some way, you got the sense of that other person thinking of you. I think most people can relate to that, actually. Had yeah. that kind yes, of it is not unusual. When you ask people, when you do not put it in the sense of, or we're seeing tables floating and ghosts coming to you with chains. When you talk about these things, they are not unusually experienced by people. No, uh, so let me finish and I'll, I'll 
continue with this notion that it is not uncommon. So that would be telepathy. Clairvoyance may be the sense of knowing something that is not mediated by someone's word, someone's consciousness. So for instance, there was a, I think he may still be alive, I'm not sure, but a very famous Finnish healer. And he was used by police and by other people when there was a missing individual uh, you know, during the winter. And they say, well, we cannot know where he or she is, let's say where he is. And he would try to have a sense of the surroundings, the area where he might be. And apparently he came with very good, precise guesses, not accurate all of the time, who is, but he could come up with somewhat even unexpected notions that were accurate. So in this case, uh, let's speak of somebody who had died. We can say, well, perhaps probably didn't have to do with that person affecting him directly, but he somehow sensed that information. So that would be clairvoyance. Uh, precognition would be the notion of experiencing something before it occurs, and it is not something that you might uh, reasonably guess. So we have a number of cases like that in the literature. Uh, for instance, one famous case of some years ago, where a person all of a sudden starts having dreams that there is a plane that is going to uh, have a serious misfunction is going to crash in, a, in an airport close to where he lives. He had no idea. He had no history of having those kinds of ideas. So it was not someone who, you know, every month thought that there was going to be a plane crash. That had never happened to him. Mm. He continues having these dreams. He goes to the manager of the airport. Uh, the manager says, well, this person seems reasonable. This person does not seem to be disturbed in any way, but the information is not so accurate. And it happens later on that. Where, where was that, that crash? I'm sorry? Where was, was that? Plane I, crash? I don't know it by heart, but it was a few decades ago. Okay. Uh, but these things continue to happen. Uh, for example, for 9 11, the terrorist attack in New York City and, well, I mean, another country, Pennsylvania, another, sorry, another state, uh, some people had dreams that they told the therapist a day before. And these were clear dreams about planes crashing, which they had not had before. So let's come with something that is much more, much closer to our days. And, and I would say, if you ask around, people will often tell you, oh, I had a dream about something that would happen. Uh, suddenly I, there was a big bus uh, that was rushing to me. I had no idea why I had this dream. And then the following day, there's a person with bus driver who is not doing it carefully. And the person has to rush so as not to be hit by the, by the bus. And I have a number of my students who have reported all three of these types of mm -hmm. phenomena. Just spontaneously, they say it happens to me. They might say, well, I do not believe in psychic phenomena, but then they go and report that these things have happened to them and or to a family member. Mm. And but they discard, they, discard it as, as, as random most of the time, don't they? Well, I think one of the issues is that some, sometimes people don't want to think very much about them, that some people are scared precisely because of the notion of this is paranormal, this is not normal, this is weird. And that is why I like to say, well, this is not, this is normal. This happens to all of us, and sometimes the experiences we have are not psychic, are not psi. You know, we also 
believe that something is uh, that was a, a precognitive dream, and then we think more about it and remember, oh, but in the day I did have a friend talk about our other friend X. So it wasn't, you know, out of the blue that I suddenly thought of him, but I had had just a conversation of that. And perhaps because of this, that person contacted me. So, you know, one can have some of these experiences that end up having a normal everyday run-of-the-mill explanation, but there are some who do not, who suggest that we are um, affected by something that has happened that is not close in time or space. And the final type is what is called psychokinesis or telekinesis in older term. And that would be the notion that your intention can directly affect matter. Now, uh, most of the dramatic cases um, have to do with mediums, physical mediums who may say, well, if you come to my seance, <coughs> sorry, you will see a trumpet suddenly fly and there will be other objects flying. Uh, uh, but the problem with much of that literature is that we do have a history of many people doing this fraudulently. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying all of the people, but many. So it's the a issue problem is, for, for, for science, isn't it? it? It is a problem for science in general. People fake. People uh, end up creating data that was not there. And that's not only in parapsychology by any stretch, just in regular psychology, regular biology, regular physics, whatever. Some people will just make uh, something so that they can have another publication. So that can happen. But I would say a much stronger set of evidence is for what is called psychokinesis. That is when people are trying to affect a random system, like what is called in an apparatus random number generator, that when it is not being affected, it just spurts out, let's say, complete random set of zeros or ones, you know, 50% of one, 50% of the other, just that doesn't change. And someone tries to affect that random generator, and then you get a statistically significant effect. Oh. And maybe you will get 52 versus 48, which may not sound like a lot, but when you are having runs of yeah. thousands, thousands and thousands and thousands, of, thousands, yeah. and thousands mm -hmm. Then it becomes different, particularly when you compare that when nobody was trying to affect the machine, it was 50-50, somebody's trying to do something, it is slightly biased. Mm. And this makes sense, because if one could have strong effects on objects, I, have, I tell my students, listen, I, I have, if I could, I would have already killed a lot of people, well, not a lot, but some people <laughs> in my life, who might have hated, but probably other people would have hated me and kill me already just by their intention. <laughs> Any student that got a bad grade in my course, then I would be gone. And in everyday life, that is not happening. So whatever we think of is the effect must be small so that we can continue to survive. Well, there is some kind of um, inertia in this life, in this three-dimensional life, maybe because we're supposed to be able to live it at all, yeah. as you say. I mean, it would be impossible otherwise. You yeah. mentioned before something about time and space not working exactly as we as we think it does. Yes. But but we have this, there is there's a consensus reality that we all live in, but there mm -hmm. might be some some other some other uh, things at play on, on another level, so to speak. So how do you explain these psychic abilities uh, in those terms, if, if, well, if you do explain them. 
Yeah, to give you an example, well, I do not think that I or anybody I know, anybody serious, has what I would call a you know consistent, strong explanation that can give you the ability to come up with experiments that will have strong effects that will be repeatable by everyone. I mean, nobody has that in the field, but we do have a lot of experiments that are showing that are showing that there is an effect. Now, for instance, one of the, I would say, promising kinds of models in physics is that there may be more than the four dimensions, you know, mm. the three or original dimensions plus time, and that in this multiple dimension theory, it may be that things that seem to be distant in time and space are actually there, adjacent. They are happening at the same time. That would be, for example, when things are spatially distant. So that in a dimension, even though you and I are not in the same room, perhaps we are somehow in some way interconnected where distance doesn't make any difference. Well, the technique, oh. the technology helps us in this case. <laughs> well, in this case, yes. But, but even the technology, of course, has its limitations. We say, well, I'm seeing you, but I know that you are far away. And it's very rare that people may get the sense of, yes, I'm somehow in some way sensing everything, or at least sensing a lot more than ordinary. And in um, some models of time, for example, the block model of time that is based on, on Einstein theory, the notion is that past, present, and future are already there, always present with that we only perceive the present as we are traversing through it, but that all of it is already there. So there are a number of models of physics that are consistent with the notion that what we think to be the ordinary way of perceiving things in time and space is not the only way. And not only the way of perceiving, but it's not the, the only way of reality as it is. All of you that <coughs> Sorry. Okay. Uh, have you also looked into so-called déjà vu experiences? Because it sounds a little bit like that when you talk about the future being here at the same time as the present, so to speak, you, you might be able to briefly <coughs> experience things that actually are going to happen. Or, or Anyway, you know what this is, is. Yeah, yeah, I like, know what this is. I've experienced this before, and it's it's an eerie feeling that you get. Yes, it is an eerie feeling, and I would say I haven't done any research on that, but I know the literature. And as with many things, I would not say that there is one only explanation or one only set of phenomena. I think that many déjà vu, and I have had many, uh, probably can be explained just by the notion that. You were in a similar situation, you have forgotten about it. And now that you are again in that situation, you have a sense of familiarity. Yes, I have been there. And for most deja vus, the issue is that you cannot discount that explanation because most of them do not give you information about what is about to happen. That you could say, wait, hold on for a second. There, I know I have a sense that I have been already here. And I know that there comes a green car with a plate mm. 47 something. That, that would be a precognition then. That would be a precognition, but it could be a deja vu if you have a sense, yes, I have already lived this and I know what is going to happen next. 
Yeah, I know what you're saying because most of the time it's more like a double exposure in a way. So you can't mm -hmm. you, you can't really exactly say what's going to happen, but you have a double exposure. That, oh, I've been through this. I've been through this. I've been through this. But as you say, you can't really predict what's going to happen. So oh, correct. It's so something different. So most of the times we cannot say that this is psychic. I mean, with no. with my boy, uh, I have had a lot of deja vu's of having a sense. Yes, I have experienced this already. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I cannot say I know what is going to happen next. And there are all the possibilities. Maybe this is reminding me when I was his age. Mm. What about altered, altered states of consciousness? Uh, they are related, of course, with these psychic abilities. Uh, how would you explain those? I mean, for instance, the out-of-body experiences or the experiences that people have when they take plant medicine, the most uh, renowned being probably ayahuasca, you know, DMT or psilocybin in some cases. What, what is happening there? What do you, what's your opinion about these altered states of consciousness? Well, the issue with altered states, you cannot just encompass them all and say, this is an explanation for everything. Because what is happening, let's say in, when I uh, have very hypnotizable people, uh, is not the same as when people have had hallucinogens, is not the same as when people have gone to sleep. So you would need to take every alteration and look at its nature. Having said that, let me tell you some things that I think are important to know about them. First, when people hear altered states, they tend to think, oh my God, this must be something weird. Probably it has something to do with illegal drugs. And the fact is that we are all through, uh, through the days, every day, we go through a number of states. And some of them are qualitative, qualitatively different. We go to sleep. When we sleep, we are in different states. In some stages of sleep, we do not have dreams. In some, in one stage, our EM, that's where most of the time we have dreams. So we have those. We have also as well, if somebody wakes you up in the middle of the night, you are in something that is not quite being asleep, not, being, not quite being awake, at least for a number of seconds, but it's a different one. And uh, let's say that uh, you are as fortunate as I am and you go and uh, you go back to your family and then at times you think, God, this is extraordinary. And I may feel very different than I feel now. I may have a sense of um, the, the moment is going on forever. So we are traversing <coughs> through different states all the time. They are, again, they are not paranormal. It is normal. And we have them for a number of reasons. You would have to look at every state to find out what it might be good for. But, and here let me, uh, and I know this is a long answer, but I think I need to give it a bit of complexity. Uh, let me say something about our ordinary waking state. And that is our ordinary waking state is good for some things, but not good for others. So it is good for changes, small changes. So you suddenly hear a sound, you you orient yourself to the sound. It is very good for the information of the senses. Um, and, and it is somewhat inflexible. If you tend to think, oh, why did that person, let's say, uh, 
uh, lover leaves you, then you may be ruminating about that and somebody tells you, well, just stop thinking about it. Mm. Does that work? No. <laughs> you keep on thinking about it. Even if the, Well, it is stupid, but you keep on thinking. So it is rigid. Many of the times it is not as helpful when I say, okay, Anders, I want you now to come up with a very different type of radio program or blog program or audio program. And at the beginning, I said, I do not know. This is what I have been doing. Um, I'll I'll go and check online. Whereas in other states, you may have greater flexibility. Let's say that you have a dream and you remember what I told you. Well, think about a very different way of doing this kind of outreach. Well, maybe in your dream, you will come up with something that is very different than what you had thought. And some of the options may not be good, but maybe you will find there a good one. Mm. And we know that sometimes to come up with new novel ideas, you have to shift yourself a bit. Same thing with psychedelics. Yeah. And for example, in Silicon Valley, uh, a number of the people who were devising new things did indeed use drugs because suddenly they have new permutations, new possibilities. Of course, they had to edit the ones that did not work, but still that left them some that they hadn't thought of. So just to close with this long answer, when you think about altered states, you should rather think, well, we have many states and there are some states that are good for some things and not for others. The same thing as waking state. So take psychedelics or or do, or do meditation, perhaps, if you want to come up with novel ideas, but not if you are going to be driving your car. Mm. That's true. <laughs> That's very wise. <laughs> For example. Yeah, wise advice. Uh, but, I mean, these different states as you're talking, that you're talking about, we have obviously been able to be in those states all along, I mean, as, as a species, as a human species. And uh, it seems that lately because of the NDEs, you said you haven't studied the NDEs that closely or written books about it, but you have uh, you have come into contact with near-death experiences. And it seems as if we are, because the ability, our ability to resuscitate people with cardiac arrest mm-hmm. has increased yeah. enormously the late last two, four, five decades or so, there is a, an increasing number of reports of near-death experiences. And yeah. it seems as if those people who have these experiences they their lives changes completely because they are so profound and they experience this realm that they enter as being much more real than this than than this um, mm-hmm. three dimensional mm-hmm. world. So, what is my question here? Yeah. Do, do you think do you think that the NDEs are, uh, um, in your opinion, uh, a true ex- a true experience of a higher part of our consciousness? That's a I, um, higher part. If, or, or a different part. You, I mean, how, how would you define it? If you take higher and you put alternate or alternative, I'll go along with that. And I could be wrong, but I would say, do I think, even though this is my area and I defend altered states, alterations of consciousness as a very valuable and important part of being human, even though I do all of that, I would say, is, would that be higher than uh, my being, let's say, with my two-year-old when we are just in in play. And 
I don't, I could be wrong, but I don't think so. I think there could be an alternate explanation or an alternate state where I have a sense, well, I am one with everything and I feel that there is no time. And that would be extraordinary in its nature, but I would not necessarily think that it is higher or better. It would be a part of, you know, an alternate way of looking at reality, one that I ordinarily do not perceive, that is telling me something very important. But again, higher, you would need well, to... That's to, just, a, yeah, define, a term, I know, yeah, a term that people what, use. What for? Yes. Uh, and I think in this case, the devil's in the details, and you have to see, well, what is the context? Maybe when uh, sometimes, let's say, for many things, to have a sense of interconnectedness, it is wonderful to, to be more altruistic and so on. Maybe if you're in the final of, let's say, the French Open, it is not bad to have a sense of, well, I really want to win this, rather than saying, well, I could win this or lose it. It's all the same. After all, what is winning and what is losing? <laughs> Which yeah, from yeah. a perspective, of yeah. course, it is true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but 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 if you but perhaps if you experience that you may repent yourself one hour mm-hmm. afterwards. Well, you might talk about a, a deeper uh, part of your consciousness, perhaps rather yeah, than a higher thing, or better. Deeper or, Is I deeper? Would, does it have a you you mean, you mean positive connotations to, to talk about deeper? Well, I would say it's a metaphor. You know, those are metaphors. It's a metaphor. Yeah, other altered, altered, higher. Yeah. You would say they are alternative, sometimes extraordinary forms. Do you think all these NDEs that are reported now will enhance our understanding of what consciousness is and where it is located and and, and perhaps also solve the the debate about whether consciousness is placed in the brain or not? Well, I would say we we do not even need NDEs for that because... Of course, I just read a wonderful book by my friend, Bruce Grayson, whom I have never met in person, uh, but he's the world expert in NDEs. And and he cites some NDEs where people, while they were having them, were having this perception or knowledge of things that they should not have been able to know. They experienced they were floating out of their bodies. And then, for example, they might see that there was some sneakers that were on some corners of a building that they could not see. And later on, they find out that indeed there was a pair of sneakers. So how could they know it? Their experience of floating out and seeing that is certainly consistent with what they find later. Is that the only possible explanation? No, but it sounds very reasonable. I experience this. I go on, check it out later and just look, it's right there. And we know that NDs, and a number of people who have NDs have had those kinds of experiences doesn't happen by any means with every NDE, but it happens. But from the research on psychic phenomena, perhaps psychology, we have similar kinds of phenomena. It says, well, I'm able somehow in some way to see or be affected by what is happening in another building without the mediation of technology or my senses. So this should challenge the notion that we are Mm -hmm. just limited to our body. I'm not only going to say the brain, but to our body and the senses, the sense mediator, this that has to challenge it. 
So I think that, yes, of course, NDAs are another, particularly when they have some kind of evidential information, they end up giving us something that challenges the notion that uh, the, the reductive materialist position. And there are many other phenomena that do challenge it. Mm. Sorry. Yes, I understand. <coughs> I, of course, you're right there. But I was just thinking that the, the number of NDEs are increasing because, I mean, because of a practical thing that's happening, namely that we are better at resuscitating people who, are, yep. who have been clinically dead. Whereas yep. the other kinds of phenomena have always been there. And that's a question of whether, how, to, to what extent you actually study them. Yeah. So, so that's, there's a difference, but I understand what you're saying. So what about, I mean, these phenomena and these insights into what consciousness is and, and the power of consciousness, perhaps, and um, uh, the creativity that lies within the, you don't, might not want to talk about deeper layers of consciousness, but anyway, those other alternate states of consciousness. Yeah. These knowledges, uh, this knowledge, these insights have, have been there Always, and uh, yeah. it seems as if we kind of strayed away from that when, you know, when si the modern science came into being in this 17th and 18th centuries, and perhaps we're we're coming back a little bit. I'm now reading a, a book, a very interesting book called uh, uh, "Merchants of, of Light" by Betty Kovacs, uh, who is uh, who is about all these insights into you know the shaman mystic tradition that is actually at the core of both Christianity and Judaism, perhaps also Islam, at least the, the Sufi part of it. Um, and, and this has been harshly rejected. These shaman mystic traditions have been harshly rejected by the, by the mandated religion, of course. So what did these shaman mystics get right, do you think? And, and also those that are still operating in what we call today native cultures, what do they get right, and what have we in the Western world forgotten about this? So Correct. Big question, perhaps. Uh, yes, no, big question. And um, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I'm going to disagree with okay. the okay. part of what you said, which is not essential to what you're saying, but I'm going to disagree. And that is the notion that somehow things were hunky dory, things were fine until we got science. And I do not see that. I like history a lot. And I have read, and I think that we human beings have been pretty dreadful throughout, that the majority of people, or at least many have been selfish, many have been cruel, and in shamanic, non-shamanic traditions, people have done ghastly things. Native Americans, there were some more peaceful groups, there were some not so peaceful groups that tortured the people they found. So I do not see the notion that somehow we were we had this great knowledge and wisdom and then came the scientific revolution or the age of the lights and so on and everything went down the drain uh rather what i see is that this well, the story sorry to interrupt you about the narrative yeah. in the western world has been almost the opposite i mean for, for a long time that everything was terrible until science came came along and then it was hunky-dory well my, my narrative would be it has been terrible all throughout and continues to be terrible <laughs> in many ways yes, with yes. and without science yeah. and with science we have we end up having you know people who take advantage of others big farm the opioid um um calamity in the United States brought about by 
farm executives who were not just happy with have a million or five million, wanted to have 20. Uh, no, science brought about the nuclear war, the nuclear bombs. So to me, it, it hasn't been a notion that we're somehow becoming as a species more and more enlightened and more reasonable, even if we are having more NDEs. And mm -hmm. some people are saying, well, this is changing my life. Well, that may be the case, but does it change it in every way? Does it change it in enough people? Are the people who are being changed really trying to, to make difference? And rather the way I see it is there have always been, fortunately, also people who were caring and compassionate and aware of their own limitations, aware of the limitations of their reasoning, whether it was scientific or religious, and try to go beyond that. And thanks to those people, we, we haven't destroyed the rest of humanity and the rest of non-human animals, other sentient beings in the planet, although we are sort of aiming that way, but we haven't destroyed it thanks to that. But I think there have always been a group of people, and I would say the same things with shamans. Some shamans, I have met shamans in Mexico, in Brazil, uh, in, in Haiti, and I would say, well, it's the same as with the rest of us. There are some people, the first we chose shaman, that's a Mexican shaman. I met, uh, I did not even know he was a shaman. He was extraordinary. I later found out, but I was, <coughs> sorry, I have a bit of allergies. I was probably around I don't know, 20, 21, doing a lot of physical activity in top physical shape. I come over with an airplane, I'm carrying a couple of heavy backpacks, and here comes a man who's about this tall, much older, and he asked me whether he whether I wanted help. Mm -hmm. And I, without telling him, I'm thinking, well, here I am, in great physical shape, poor old man. So I told him no, even though I said that, he grabs perhaps the heavier of the two, starts walking, and I cannot keep up with him. <laughs> uh, and so it was you know, wow this must be something special and also he looked into my eyes and I felt wow he is just going into metaphor going deeply into me and later on I found out that he was the most revered shaman of that place but there was I found that there was another shaman that was a drunkard that beat up his wife so Mm. Uh, same there are yeah 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 we're all the same people. yeah there are some that are not so good thank you thanks to the good good individuals good in the, in the good sense i like that there is no better way of saying it compassionate giving uh unselfish individuals we're still here and some shamans were that way try to explain things uh, and they are still around and some scientists i would say are also compassionate and humane, and some scientists are dogmatic and selfish and perhaps even cruel. So uh, I don't think we, we became better or worse. We end up just hiding our own mendacity or selfishness using different umbrellas. At yeah. one time, it was the religious umbrella, and another time, it was scientific umbrella. I know you're looking at time because I told you. Uh, yes, I, I we don't have very much time left now because you have to leave uh, in a few minutes. So I'll just try to uh, answer. Uh, 
answer. I shouldn't answer any questions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I you can answer all nice. the rest of the questions. Yes, we're going to save some time. No, but I know that you recently recently published a paper on uh, where you compare the views on on death uh, in the Swedish and the Mayan cultures, yes. respectively. And not surprisingly, the Mayans had a more natural approach to the fact that a lot of people around them die all the time than yes. the Swedes had. Does that make, I mean, uh, connecting to what you just were talking about here, does that make the Mayans being be happier in life than the Swedish people or? Uh, well, I would say that is too simplistic notion. Yeah, I would have to put it in more circumscribed terms. I would say as far as the relation to living and dying, I think it is very likely, and this mostly was worked by my student, Marco Lopez, but I think it is very likely that they are far more harmonious when dealing with death than Swedes or let's say than technological people. So in that area, I would say, yes, I think it is very likely that they have an easier term. When somebody dies, it is not something isolated. The whole community takes part. The whole community supports the people who are left alive. So there are good reasons to think, yes, in that area, they're doing well. Overall, for all of life, well, one would have to see because there are some good things about, obviously, the Swedes or anybody. Uh, mm -hmm. Things work well. People are a lot wealthier as compared with a typical Mayan. Uh, mm -hmm. So they may not have to deal with financial problems or abuse of authorities, as it may happen in, let's say, Guatemala. Yeah. So I think it makes them in that area, you know, happier. Yes. But, but, but I think a lot of people are in the Western world are very afraid of death. And I think that scare that, that, um, uh, being afraid of death, uh, creates a lot of other scares too. makes people very anxious about things that they don't need to be anxious about. And if you, if you're not afraid of death, as far as, as far as I understand, I mean, if you if you don't if you're not afraid of dying, then you might live a happier life, or a more relaxed life. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, in general, I would agree. In general, in general, yeah. Okay, so just finally, uh, I would like to ask you a little bit about these um, these kinds of studies, this this area that you're you're doing research in. How controversial is it in mainstream science? And can you talk about these things? I mean, consciousness. For instance, uh, as a self-evident thing, almost not being placed in the brain and things like that, and NDEs being real and uh, out-of-body experiences being real. Can you talk about that in mainstream science and uh, among scientists generally, uh, without being uh, mocked or, or so? Or is it is it just natural science these days? No, it is not natural science. But I think increasingly, uh, you know, some very eminent neuroscientists and philosophers have started writing more that consciousness cannot be explained through neuroscience, at least as far as we can see that it cannot be explained. So you may have, uh, I don't know, Tononi or other very eminent neuroscientists saying, well, I, there has to be some other explanation of the one we see, or Thomas Nagel, philosopher, also saying, well, perhaps consciousness is somehow imbued into into matter. It is not that matter creates the ability to be sentient, but it is part of there. So I've, I would say that I have seen more very eminent people speak up. Does not mean that that's the majority. It does not mean that um, 
that the majority of, let's say, scientific journals would be fine with, let's say, my sending them a study that shows a strong effect for parapsychological phenomena. I think they would feel somewhat uncomfortable. To give you an example, there is a, um, a number of journals that go by the name of Frontiers. And in the criteria to accept a paper, one of them is that it should not be pseudoscientific, which they do not define. Hmm. And just allows the editor to say, well, I do not like that explanation, so I will not accept the paper, even though the paper may yeah. be perfectly done. Yeah. You can always say that something is pseudo-scientific if you don't like it. Yeah, which, which means nothing, by the way. It sounds like it says a lot. Well, if, it, if I say it's pseudo-scientific, so I mean I'm more scientific than you. No, actually, no. <laughs> and the people who are experts on science would say, we don't even know what a pseudo-science is. The frontiers of science are really very difficult to, to say. We haven't had any time to talk about your parallel career as an actor and playwright, but maybe it's it, that, it, that, that's fine. 30 seconds. But you do that also, don't you? I do you that. Actually, you write plays? Uh, yes, I have play, I have written plays. I had one that was censored in Mexico, but now it is being produced. And so I hope it will be out and broadcast nationally in the next few months. And I'm trying okay. to do a couple of adaptations right now into Spanish. So what is I'm it doing about? Is it about parapsychology? <laughs> no, no, no. The play was History of Satanism and Witchcraft. Uh -huh. <laughs> so it was still a theme that was not parapsychology. It was not sci about science, but it was about things that people may do not want to write about. And the main purpose in that, in that it was a series of short episodes, was to show that mostly the people who had said that they were going against the witches and the Satanists, that they were easily the worst, that they were the real terrible, sadistic, um, cruel individuals. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so that's what Great. To be continued. To be continued. Etzel Cardenia, thank you so much for being a guest on the show and good luck with your research and with your playwrights and... and okay. uh, Playwriting. Tak Anders, wie es? Wie es? Tak, hey. Tak.